Welcome to the Echo Church Podcast. Echo is a group of people in Cincinnati, Ohio, who love Jesus, love hanging out, and are navigating the ups and downs of our faith together. We're glad you're here. Think of someone who is crafty. I think of my friend Alicia. In fact, her username many places is Crafty Alicia. So she's the perfect person to talk today. As you can see, I pulled some I pulled some things from her Instagram feed. She likes yarn. Can you see? Can you tell? There's a lot in the house. There's a tattoo on her arm. You're gonna, I'm going to let her display this for you in person. Um, live and in person, beautiful yarn. And so, but I was really interested because Alicia is an honest crafter. And so if you want to flip to the next slide, she even posts when things mess up. And so since she is so honest about it, I just thought, But let's talk about it today on stage. Just help us think about what happens when things mess up. So my first question for you is, um, can you you tell us, there's some terms that you were telling me about, like, so if you're you're stitching, what is this? What are you doing here? So I'm crocheting, well, right now I'm crocheting. Okay. This one is crocheting, looks different than knitting, grab both types, I can do both. Crocheting. Crocheting, okay. Um, Right now I'm doing a double crochet. In America, it's called a double crochet. Mm -hmm. In Britain, it's called not a double crochet. I can't remember. (laughs) That's fine. I just have to remind myself when I'm reading a British You don't have to be British today. It's It's fine. (laughs) Okay. So Um, then what my thought was, I've heard you talk about, okay, what happens? How do you discover if there's been a mistake? Yeah, with crocheting, it's pretty simple to know when you made a mistake because instead of having a straight line, on the edge, it's like this all of a sudden. You're like, where did all of the, the stitches go that I made? Um, with knitting, it's a little bit more difficult because um, you have you can see the stitches on the needle, but then all of a sudden there's like a hole or- A hole? Yeah, or like you um, combine some stitches and then you don't usually notice it until like three or four rows later. Oh. So that's always fun. So then what do you do? Um, then you get to rip it out. Um, which is so much fun. I think the picture before um, was a beautiful demonstration of that. That was a really hard piece to make, too. So um, you get there, and you just, like, rip it out. So show us how you... We're going to do a live demonstration. This is ripping. This This is ripping. In in, um, yarn-making nomenclature, it's called a ribbit, like a frog. And then you just have this pile of yarn here that you're like, well, it's not going back into this ball. So I guess I got to keep going. So that's your hope to keep moving forward. (laughs) So then how devastating is it Um, to start, to have to rip it all out? With crochet, it's not awful because usually you can go back to it. But with knitting, um, all of, since all the stitches are right on your needle, how do you take it out and then get all those stitches back? There's a very fancy way to do it and I'm not that good at it still. Um, cause I don't mess up that much. No, that's, <laughs> not, that's a lie. <laughs> um, like fancy knitters can like put their needle into the stitches where you're going and then pull it out. And then hmm. you're like, you get to where you're supposed to be and it's already on your needle. And I usually screw it up. I drop a stitch even when I'm fixing it. And really? then you just have to be like, oh, fine. Figure so does it again. get any... The longer you've done it, does mm-hmm. it get any less discouraging to know that you can fix it? 
Um, yes. And then I'm also a very lazy crafter. So I'm like, what can I do simply and quickly? Okay. And so I pick ones that like I already know how to do. Okay. Um, but even like, I think a sock is a perfect example. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of fun little different stages when you're making a sock, but if you screw it up, you won't fully know until you're done because then it won't fit on your foot. Oh, dear. <laughs> um, so, then you give it to someone smaller than you. Yes. Okay. Then you're like, oh, look, I made this for you. <laughs> so. Love it. It turns into generosity. Yes. I love it. Yes. Okay. Well, I think, do you catch mistakes sooner now, would you say? Um, no. Okay. I didn't know if that improved over time. It didn't no, have to. No, no. It's still like, well, yeah. now I'm to the point where I'm like, I know what I'm doing. I can <laughs> knit and like watch a movie. And then you're, you look down and you're like, oh, that was like 10 rows ago. <laughs> so now I just have a big head and I feel like I'm fine. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not Okay, fine. okay. Well, thank you guys. Uh, thanks, Felicia, for demonstrating for us today. She brought some very bright colored yarn so we could see easily. So we are going to find a connection to this in a bit in our scripture study today. So just wait for it. It's going to happen. We are in the book of Exodus. And I'm going to just like recap the big, big picture because it's always good to do every once in a while. Exodus is in the Bible. That's a good one. It's the second book. The kids in the back, they're learning the books of the Bible this year. So quiz them on that if you have an Echo Kid. Ask them where it comes. They should have learned that one by now, Genesis, Exodus. So that's in the Old Testament portions of our Bible. And it's actually to give us a timeline. This is 1,500 years just about before Jesus lived. So that's where we are in history. Ancient situation here. God's people, you may know them as the Israelites living in Israel. But somehow they have ended up in Egypt. And it, it happened because basically a family fight. Ten brothers decided to sell one brother, Joseph, into slavery. If you've ever seen the play Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat, that's got it. You got it. So they sent him, they sell him off, and he ends up in Egypt. And later when there's a famine in Israel, they're like, oh, we should go ask for help from Egypt. So there was a reckoning there. There was forgiveness there, and there was a restart and so in Egypt, they found food, they found sustenance, provision by God. However, they stuck around. And even though they multiplied and lived in the land, generations passed. And suddenly, the Pharaoh, king of Egypt, is looking around and like, these Israelites, now they feel threatening. They're a little too, they've grown a little too much here. And suddenly, he did not treat them as equal human beings. And so the Egyptians began to oppress and enslave the Israelites. And that's the misery they were facing. And so the Israelites cried out to God in their pain, and God heard and made a plan. Now, back at the beginning of the world, God created and said it was good. But Sin corrupted not just humans, but nature and everything. And you can see this oppression is like a result of some heavy corruption. And we know that God reintroduced himself and said, I've got a plan. 
I'm going to save Israel. It's a rescue plan that might take some crafting. But he introduces himself to Moses. And he says, my name is Yahweh. Let's get connected. We've got a plan to go on. And you're going to be my spokesperson to go rescue Israel from the hands of the oppressors in Egypt. So that's, what we've, that's where we've gotten so far. And God, he's giving, he's giving some chances. We keep seeing that he cannot help but act in grace, even in the times where he's seeking justice. So he's holding Pharaoh and Egypt accountable, but there's these moments where you can see he's still like, but I want you to know me. And here's one more chance. And we said he's got 10 more chances in this rescue plan. He's like, this is how I'm going to get you to let my people go. And also, you can have this choice to do it on your own. And it doesn't have to be hard. But we know the 10 chances as the 10 plagues. Now, plagues is probably not the best word. We always think of sickness in that. So maybe 10 strikes is the other, that's that's the word in the original language. A strike against Egypt to say, here, are you going to let my people go? If not, we're going to do this next thing. Now we visualized this earlier, that it wasn't Yahweh creating the evil. It was Yahweh looking at a world that was already broken, looking at Pharaoh's evil, and saying, I've been holding back the consequences fully for a while now, And I'm just going to, like, let those go. So all of these are instances where where there was a just kind of a letting go and allowing Pharaoh and the Egyptians to really feel the full effect of their own harsh treatment of other human beings. So we've got, let's try to put this fun little visual up here. I try to find different. This one was free because, you know, we pay people and, that's the one I grabbed last night was the, I like the different interpretations. There's some very kid-friendly ones, and I'm like, you made the plagues look real cute there. So we're going to have our list. So last week we did the blood, the frogs, and the gnats. And we said they kind of come in these waves of three. And today we're going to do six more. So we're going to go flies, livestock, where are we? Boils, hail, locusts, darkness. All right, so that's, where, that's our map for the day. We are in Exodus chapter 8, if you want to follow along. In, I'm sorry, I didn't grab the, the page number. There are Bibles in the pews, or if you want to grab a device or just read on screen. Um, we're not going to read through each plague. We're just going to, like, follow some highlights, something we want to see from each of these strikes. So we'll begin with strike number four, the flies. Let me read for us Exodus 8, verse 20. Then Yahweh said to Moses, Get up early in the morning and confront Pharaoh as he goes to the river. Say to him, This is what the Lord says. Let my people go, so that they may worship me. If you do not let my people go, I will send swarms of flies on you and your officials, on your people, and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians will be full of flies. Even the ground will be covered with them. Another great visual for us. But on that day, I will deal differently with the land of Goshen, where my people live. No swarms of flies will be there, so that you will know that I, the Lord, am in this land. I will make a distinction between my people 
and your people. This sign will occur tomorrow. So the Lord, you know, there's some grace there. He's like, I'm warning you. It's going to happen tomorrow. You can prepare yourself for this. Um, He's already, you know, like when the water was affected, like, you know, that was like water to blood, like everywhere. But here he's really pointing out, like, you're going to notice a difference if you go visit where the Israelites live. You're going to notice no flies there. And the Lord, Yahweh is really trying to say, look, this is how a benevolent leader cares about people. My people are protected right now. But your harsh, evil leadership is ugly. It's disgusting. And it looks like flies everywhere. So there's this visual comparison of this is how you lead well. And this is how you are leading. Let's look at a map. And we're going to see that this is the area of ancient Goshen. So like the Israelites would have been living a little bit more on the northern part of Egypt there. So that gives us a perspective. So the rest of it down south would have had all those flies. So Pharaoh responds to the flies. He's bothered by them. And he says, okay, you can worship your God, but just, just do it right here. And Moses is like, no, that's, that's not what we asked for. So we need to leave Egypt. And Pharaoh's like, well, just play, pray for me to end these flies. And if you were with us last week, Pharaoh did the same thing about the frogs. He was annoyed by the frogs. He said, pray for me. I promise I'll let you go. And then as soon as the frogs are gone, he changed his mind. So Moses calls him out on that. Chapter 8, verse 29. Moses answered, as soon as I leave you, I will pray to the Lord, and tomorrow the flies will leave, the Pharaoh and his officials and his people. Only let Pharaoh be sure that he does not act deceitfully again by not letting the people go offer sacrifices to the Lord. So Moses is like, you've already done it before. Let's see, are you really going to stick to your word? Also, it's interesting, if you remember last week, Pharaoh said, please end the frogs. And then he said, you get to pick the time. And he said, tomorrow. So this time Moses is like, you're going to get it tomorrow. He, he chose the time for him. And I think it was a little bit of mocking there. The flies did leave nicely. Remember last week we talked about heaps of dead frogs. This time the flies were just, they flew, like he said, like a wind blew them away. It was like, oh, that's nice. Um, Yahweh was graceful and cleaned up this time. Okay, strike number five. So in our list, this is the livestock. Now this is where we'd actually, when you hear the word plague, probably you think of a sickness. And this is an actual sickness here. But this sickness affects the animals. Okay, chapter nine, verse two, this is God speaking. If you refuse to let my people go and continue to hold them back, the hand of the Lord will bring a terrible plague on your livestock in the field, on your horses, donkeys, camels, cattle, sheep, and goats. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and that of Egypt, so that no animal belonging to the Israelites will die. So we imagine that Yahweh is allowing, you know, this visual each time to demonstrate, you know, this is the ugliness you've brought on yourself. This is... This is how bad it feels. And so far, it's been, I mean, things have been annoying. Frogs everywhere, flies everywhere. There was gnats earlier. You know, like, those things are, are bothersome. But here, there's actual consequences. There's death for the first time. 
Because even when the water turned to blood, it said that they were able to dig and find water. Like, the Lord still provided a way to drink water. But this time, some creatures are dying. And not only that, but this affects their livelihood, like provision, what they eat, what they make. Like These animals were part of their lives, and now they're dying. So these, there's are bigger consequences happening here because Pharaoh refuses to listen. Let's move on to strike six. Boils. I'm not talking about boils. So we're, we're, we're just going gonna, gonna, gonna to read fast over this. I don't like that. Okay, Yahweh said, take handfuls of soot from a furnace and have Moses toss it into the air in the presence of Pharaoh. It will become fine dust over the whole land of Egypt and festering boils will break out on people and animals throughout the land. I can hardly read it, okay? Uh, the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils that were on them and on all the Egyptians. Now, we noted that the magicians here, that's like a word we could have certain images in our mind of. We said it's not like Harry Potter. It's not like a, a fake little show. But they were the actual, they were called magicians because the magic that they did was a communication of worship. So they were the high priest of the Egyptian worship of gods and goddesses. So they were the representatives between the people and their worship. So here, God's presence is not only striking in a physical sense, striking the very people who are leading in this worship of false gods. So now the manifestation of all of this corruptness is happening to religion itself. Now, before we read through the final three, I want us to note that the final three strikes from our conversation today, um, seven, eight, nine, they gain intensity. And Yahweh warns about this. In Exodus 9, verse 13, he said, Let my people go so they may worship me, or this time I will send the full force of my plagues against you, against your officials and your people, so that you will know there is no one like me in all the earth. And I'm looking at the list, and I'm like, that's not even the full force yet? That's okay. They've been warned. It's going to get more painful. And we're not going to read through all the verses, but it's interesting because this is called, the, there's superlatives that we see describing the next, the hail, the locust, and the darkness are coming next. And they call it like the worst hail and thunderstorm ever. The most locust that Egypt had ever seen. Or like the darkest darkness. You know, like everything is intense here. Through this judgment, we still see these glimpses of grace. Yahweh can't help himself. That's part of his character. So we're going to look for those pieces, even in these intense plagues. Verse 15, Yahweh continues, for by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. But I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Why is Yahweh even having a conversation when this megalomaniac it would just build his ego, right? 
Yahweh's like, I could have just wiped you from the planet. But Yahweh says, that's not my point. My point is so that even the people under your care, Pharaoh, the Egyptians that you have taught to be so harmful, I still want to give them an opportunity to learn about a real God. Not the Egyptian gods and goddesses who they worshipped in fear and worried about if they were going to be mean to them. He's like, I'm a benevolent God. I want them to know my name. And I want them to have an opportunity to learn about my care too. So the neat thing is, some people actually began to believe. They began to look at these 10 strikes that were happening, and it had an effect on some people. When the number seven, when the strike of the hail was coming, Yahweh gave a warning and said, warn your people to take shelter. And so some people listened. Exodus 9, verse 20 says, The officials of Pharaoh, who feared the word of the Lord, hurried to bring their slaves and their livestock inside. But those who ignored the word of the Lord left theirs in the field. So this was the worst storm of thunder and hail, and it did damage so many crops, and it would hurt. It would be, it would be harmful to people. And yet, some people listened and actually took heed and protected themselves. Pharaoh, through all this, he's experiencing the hail. He asked Moses again, hey, can you pray for me and let this stop? And Moses is like, I know, I know your change of heart is not real. Like he's figured it out by now. God told him it was going to happen, but he's really seeing it in, in, in his life. And as soon as, but he's still like, okay, I'll pray and the hail will stop. There's still grace there. Like God didn't let it go on forever. And sure enough, Pharaoh, yep, nope, you're not going to go anywhere. Every time the hurt stopped hurting for just a second. It's interesting too, it says that while, while some crops were damaged, that it's like it wasn't the season for the barley yet, so that still grew. Like God was still providing for the Egyptians in the midst of this. Here's damage. It's going to hurt. It's going to take work, but you can still have food and water even in this time. Okay, the next strike is number eight. That's our locusts. Um, it says the most locusts that had ever Egypt had ever seen, and they destroyed more of the land. They ate some more of those crops, and they were everywhere. I don't know if you've ever, like, I mean, it kind of feels like we all experience the cicadas, right? You know, it's like everywhere. So we, we in Cincinnati, we kind of have a good visual of these kind of things, right? Did the Lord choose items? You know, you think, like, this is an interesting list. Did the Lord choose the ones, we've seen Pharaoh react to them, like, okay, please make it stop. Did he pick the ones that were just, like, most annoying? Like, I made you, Pharaoh. I know what annoys you. Like, I don't know. I just, th that's me. That's me personally being human and maybe what I would want to do to my enemy. But during the locust, we read, this was the point. Exodus 10, verse 3 said, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says. How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go so that they may worship me. The whole point of this whole situation, besides giving Pharaoh the opportunity 
to make good choices was also just that humility it takes, right? It takes humility. And Yahweh's like, that's what leadership is here. It's not just about being in charge. It's just not pushing harder. It's like you have to have the humility to care about the people you're leading. And these people are ready to go. And that takes humility to let go of that power. And now our final strike that we're going to talk about today is darkness. Exodus 10, verse 21 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the sky so that darkness spreads over Egypt, darkness that can be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky, and total darkness covered all Egypt for three days. No one could see anyone else or move about for three days. Yet all the Israelites had light in the places they lived. This one, wow, that, that description. Have you ever been someplace just like with zero light? Just like you can feel it. You can feel this darkness. And I can only, I can only imagine that this moment also felt like, feel how dark your hearts have become. Like, feel it. And in the same instant, I just can't fathom, because we've read so much about God's compassion, I can't fathom that this isn't Yahweh saying, this is how it feels to watch you do this. This is how I feel. A darkness because I created you for good. I created the world in a beautiful way and it's broken and it hurts. And I want you to feel how dark that feels. I can just also try to think of what did the little light look around like the Israelites? Did they like glow? Was there like a little halo as they moved about? They could have their own little lights this little bit of light. And I think it's really neat because they had been victims of this trauma for so long and God didn't let them feel that darkness any longer. They got to live in the light. It's like, I've got you. As each of these plagues got heavier and heavier, Yahweh saw his creation in a broken form, and he allowed that to be revealed. And so before we close, I want us to look back. I want us to look back at something that kind of makes this all a little bit poetic in a way. When Yahweh, God as Father, God as Jesus, God as Holy Spirit, were collectively creating the world back in Genesis 1, Jewish tradition says there's 10 times that we read God said, like God said, let there be light. God said, let's make humans in our image. And every time God said that they count 10, that there were 10 words, 10 speeches of creation that created the entire place where we see to live, created the entire world, created beyond, right? In these 10 moments. And now we see that's, that was Yahweh taking chaos 
and creating order. But here, Yahweh allows 10 strikes to take the beauty of that creation and demonstrate how broken it was. 10 speeches began and 10 acts of like decreation almost, like, like ripping out that stitch, letting it unravel because Yahweh was ready to start again. And when Israel is free, Yahweh presents 10 new words to them. We know them as the Ten Commandments, which sounds harsher. But it's these ten new words to begin a new life in freedom. To try to represent what Yahweh was wanting to do in the world in the first place. And we'll get to that later, but I want us to see those ten laid out there. Beautiful and painful. And I, thinking about those two, you know, that's why... That's what it was really neat to see Alicia demonstrate for us, right? It's something you work on and you care about it, but it's not right. Something's broken here. Something's an error. The pattern doesn't work. And so Yahweh just had to pull that apart. It doesn't feel great as the creator, the maker, to have to pull it apart, but the result trying to make it again more beautifully. Trying to say, okay, let's start. Let's start anew. Because Yahweh's in partnership with us, right? He's like, okay, I gave you the choice. This is what you chose. Let's work on it again together. Yahweh ripped the stitch out. But what he reveals about himself, because we said every time we read this book of Exodus, what do we learn about our Lord God? Is that he's like, okay, I'm okay to rip out this stitch if, if it heals what's broken. Like if he can remake, bring new beauty, that even as that creator, he's willing to do what needs to be done. And maybe you've felt the same when you've worked on something and created something, but you know it's a bit painful to have to start anew. It happens when you're like, Parts of our bodies are broken, right? If you have to have a surgery, a procedure, and that part's painful. But the hope is by the end that you're, you've got healing in your body. So we're watching a very painful process in the book of Exodus. But we have this hope that the end result will bring healing. That it's part of a bigger picture. So even today, even today, we might have felt it, that God's willing to rip a stitch if it helps us fix what's broken, helps us reset. And sometimes we're like Israel, and the pain has been inflicted on us. Someone else has done the damage, and it's still maybe hard to watch when God brings about justice, and he brings about trying to heal what's broken in someone else's situation, the person that caused harm. But also, just like we saw in Exodus, God always leaves that door open for even our own oppressors to f- seek forgiveness. That maybe they, they have their lives shocked 
to show them the hurt they've been caused, causing. And yet God says, I can still redeem that. And sometimes that's the pain to watch. Because it's not always easy to watch someone who's caused you pain to find their own redemption. We hope for it. We grow by growing into that desire. But sometimes it's hard to, to come to at first. But God offers forgiveness to anyone who is willing. Sometimes we're like Egypt. And there's some, there's some sin we've done. There's some pain we've caused. And it's painful to have it revealed. Pain to our self-esteem. Uh, pain to our ego. When we have to apologize, we have to recognize where we are wrong. It may literally be pain to our wallet when it's like uh, it costs us to make amends and to fix things that are broken. But the point of ripping is to rebuild. And so if we come to the realization of, of the glaring issue in our own lives, then hopefully we can work with God to come out stronger to build anew on that mercy and humility and righteousness and peacemaking that Jesus emphasized about God. So the question I want us to think about today, where do you need a reset? Maybe from, maybe you're just feeling the damage of harm done to you. You need to ask God to help you rebuild after that. Maybe it's harm that you've been a part of. Where do you need a reset in your life? Is there something you're going to have to think about? It's not evident. It may not be evident to all. But I hope that you know that that's why we're in community together, is you don't have to do it alone. The point of it is to learn to walk alongside one another as we serve our God. So I hope you find, like, one trusted person at least to come alongside you and say, let's go to God together. I don't know how, I don't know how it's going to hurt as it heals, but don't be alone in the process. And finally, we haven't forgotten that Jesus relates to every bit of Exodus because Jesus was Yahweh on earth, same God, same char characteristics throughout time. And Jesus gave his life as the ultimate reset. Like that, was, that was the final beginning anew of all of this brokenness was Jesus to come, to live, to die on a cross, to resurrect so that we could have hope, so that, so that the sin could be ripped out and that the grace is given to us to begin again. So that sin done to us, sin we've done, doesn't have to define us when we're connected to Jesus. And every week we remember that by taking part in communion. It's a small meal at the end of our service so that we can tangibly be reminded that the God who wanted to rescue his people in Egypt is the same God that wants to rescue us today and came to earth to do it. That he keeps coming and finding new ways to heal our brokenness. And he did so through Jesus. So when you're ready, we're going to have some friends come down and serve. And just take some time to think about 
Think about all that we've talked about today. And there's a cup of juice, there's some bread, and you can take it back to your seat and just have a little time to pray and think about all the ways that Jesus brings us hope and redemption. Will you pray with me? Lord, God, Yahweh, Jesus, thanks for giving us names to speak to you, connection. Thanks for being one who made us and one who cares about us, someone who wants our healing, wants our best for us. Lord, we come to you and say, there's some things that are broken We see brokenness in this world and it causes us pain. So we come to you and and ask for your help in healing and fixing. We thank you for sending us Jesus, for giving us eternal rescue. We lift you up now. Amen. Thank you for the gift of your attention today. If you ever want to join Echo Church in person, we meet on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. You'll find us at 1301 East McMillan Street. That's in the Walnut Hills neighborhood of Cincinnati, Ohio, just up the street from our city's beautiful Eden Park. Find out more about us on our website, echochurch.org. Have a great week.